Welcome to episode 24 of the Clean Sport Collective podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung. We'll be bringing you audio today from the Clean Sport panel that we hosted at the North Face Endurance Challenge back on November 15th, right before Kara completed her first ultra there in San Francisco. We've got four athletes joining the panel with me moderating. Those athletes come from across the road, trail, and track communities, including my co-host Kara Goucher, as well as track athlete Alicia Montano, and then trail athletes Rob Krar and Dylan Bowman. I'll be introducing those athletes via the panel as you jump into the audio there in just a second. But before we jump in, I did want to thank North Face as well as the North Face Endurance challenge as a both a brand and an event that have signed the clean sport pledge and who are leading by example in this department and i want to thank them for hosting us and allowing us to have the platform to share and talk about clean sport via their events so with that as an intro let's jump right into the panel here we go well, let's get started. I want to welcome you to this live recording of the Clean Sport Collective podcast with a pretty amazing set of guests here. I wanted to introduce them as we go. We've got right to left here, first of all, a man who has won a little race called the Western States 100, you may have heard of. Only thing that may be more famous than him is his beard. Mr. Rob Carrar on the end there. We've got... We've got a multiple-time podium finisher at Leadville and Western States, as well as someone who's won a little race in Japan called the the uh, UTMF around Mount Fuji, which is pretty, pretty tough. So we've also got here Dylan Bowman. Welcome, Dylan Bowman. And you may, you may know Kara as a two-time Olympian, a silver medalist in the world championships, a two-time podium finisher in world majors. She's also a clean sport whistleblower, or as I like to call it, truth teller. Welcome, Kara Goucher. And then we have the shorter distance uh, uh, on this end with, but, but, but as much suffering. We know that, Alicia. So we've got a six-time U.S. champion who is also now properly been awarded her bronze medals from the world championship she is a an advocate for women and women athletes with the hashtag dream maternity welcome alicia montano you and i will be sharing a mic (laughs) i'm going to start with you kara because i think it's interesting that we're having a podcast with actual audience members to talk about clean sport that might not be something you would have seen five years ago. So talk about how you feel about the momentum building on this topic and why it's important. <laughs> I mean, how much time do you have? Um, I think it's important because it's the future of our sport and it's the integrity of our sport. And, you know, when we decided to start the Clean Sport Collective a few years ago, we didn't know where it would go or what it could do, but it seems to be building momentum and Um, The public seems to care about protecting the sport. Brands seem to be signing on and caring about protecting the sport. And yeah, it's just really cool to see people from all walks of life caring about it and just keep pushing forward. And a whole audience watching. I want to go to you, Alicia, because you've been a topic of news in, in this area because you recently received, properly received your medals in Doha to 
two bronze medals that should have been awarded to you almost a decade ago. I want to talk about or have you talk about that experience. What was it like to actually get the medals that you actually earned? <laughs> it's okay if you cry. Um, wow. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, one, it's a surreal experience, but I don't think it's an experience that uh, should be one for anybody. Um, I think, if any, just a little background, um, I've been a professional track athlete for over a decade now, and um, I did uh, race clean in um, all of my races, but in 2011, 2013, I raced against dopers for the better half of my, or actually for my entire career, to be completely honest, um, and I did win um, a bronze medal that I never got. I finished fourth place, which is, in, for us that are, you know, if people understand, like, it's gold, silver, bronze, so fourth is, like, the loneliest number, um, but I could take finishing fourth place if I knew that I finished fourth place against true athletes and but the fact that I knew that they weren't clean was pretty painful and I do think that for me it really killed the sport because I felt like okay maybe in a month and then to continuously race against athletes that were doping and we're not doing it true it was just like I really had lost faith in um our federation and um you know, people that were supposed to be protecting us in the sport and ultimately did end up killing the sport for me for a while. I was in a whole nother zone about what I was going to be doing. And ultimately, I mean, I love running and I love competing. I just felt like doing it for the IAAF wasn't the space for me because it was like being in an abusive relationship. Um, so to come back to 2015 and um, be actively in competition in, in track and field um, before I decided I was going to add two more children to the brood. Um, I, you know, the, the news started to come out, like there was this first leak. So I felt like there's all these roller coaster rides where I'm in these amazing highs of my life and things are going fine and you're just like kind of trying to forget about it. And then they're like, you know, there's a McLaren report about these dopers and then they name people that you always knew were doping and you're like, yes, it's going to happen. And then it doesn't happen. And it's like this roller coaster ride that I feel like clean athletes end up going through while I don't feel like the athletes that are doping pay enough for it. And I don't feel like, uh, for instance, for me, the IAAF was a federation who um, they covered up the doping. And that is unforgivable to me. Um, and I still don't think that they're paying enough for it. And I understand I'm talking a lot. So let me just get to feelings. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so I think finally coming into, I mean, it's this 2015 is when this McLaren report came out. It's 2019 and I'm receiving two medals in one instance. I think when you talk about the feelings, um, I, I try to be like positive, but I feel like that sometimes false positivity is even more negative because you don't you don't allow yourself to feel feelings that you are valid in feeling um, because people are looking at you you're like well you're getting the medals like woohoo um, I you know I flew my family to Doha which was no easy feat um, a five-year-old and a two-year-old and then um, you know IAAF didn't offer to pay anything they were gonna pay me 20 they were gonna fly me there by myself and then fly me back out so they were giving me a one-night stay fly to Doha to pick up these medals. And I was like, bullshit. <laughs> like, I just like, you know, like just called a spade a spade and I was like, okay, so you guys want me to come pick up these medals that you cheated me out of um, by myself and celebrate by myself. Like somebody needs to figure something else out because I'm not paying for this and my family's coming with me. So um, USATF ended up picking up that fight. IWF hid 
Um, <laughs> I've got another fight to do, but um, they basically hid, and USATF did pay for my family to come there. I still had to come $2,500 out of pocket because my parents are teachers, and I wasn't going to go and pick this up without them. So um, we, my, we did pay for my parents to get there. Um, yeah, and so when I got those medals, you know, just so you guys paint a picture, it was the, the stadium in Doha was like literally crickets, to be completely honest. And my parents were, if you guys have ever seen a stadium, it's, it's big. <laughs> so I'm on this side, and my family's way on the other side of the stadium. So I immediately stepped up on stage and just like literally felt like bursting into tears because we came all this way, and like they probably couldn't see me. I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I didn't know where they were, and there's literally, there's no one in the stands. And, um, you know, just trying to appreciate the fact that I was getting these medals. So I'm still in conflict of how I feel, to be completely honest. Um, you know, I, I went up for one ceremony. There were back-to-back -back ceremonies and stood next to uh, Janice Kipkoski, who was the um, silver medal. Wait, what was she going to be? She was the bronze medalist, and so she basically handed me her bronze. She moved to silver, and, um, and then I ended up getting the bronze medal. And I felt like I was already trying to keep it together and feeling emotional. And then... Um, and then walked off for five seconds before walking back on to get my 2013 medals. And, and then I just completely lost my shit. But, um, <laughs> um, and because Brenda Martinez was there, you know, was a American athlete. We would have finished at that time together. We would have both held up the American flag. We would both be able to run around, hug each other. And like, to see the tears in her eyes and then her looking at me and both of us were just, there was a picture of us like looking at each other. It looks like we were getting married at the altar. <laughs> but anyways, I'm not really describing how I feel because I don't really know. I feel a lot of feelings. I think I'm trying to hide the ones that are going to make me sobbing on the floor in fetal position. <laughs> it's okay not to know how to feel. I want to bring Rob into the discussion as somebody who operates in the trail, trail world, but I would assume pays attention to the road and the track. How do you feel when you see things like this happening in the sport of running that's maybe not trail, but you can at least see it as a fan and relate to it in some way? Yeah, certainly. I, I'm not too dialed into the, the track and field world these days, but having come from, you guys hear me all right? Having come from um, a track background, um, I went to, I came to the United States from Canada on a track and cross country scholarship and at Butler University and ran the roads for a while. So um, I, I, I keep up to date on the outside. And uh, yeah, as a whole, it's I, I feel it's tragic. Um, and uh, I'm inspired by, by Kara and everybody who has made an effort to um, do good in the world. Uh, you know, the ramifications in the track and field and um, road running um, world, uh, they're huge. Uh, you know, when somebody does something in an inhonest, in a, in inhonest way, it, it, it it steals dreams and hopes of so many others. And uh, I'm really glad things are hopefully on the trend to being cleaned up, but I also think now there's a lot of making up to do. I think it's maybe discouraged a lot of people from embracing the sport. Um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a really difficult thing to watch from the outside. And, uh, and honestly, it's hard to wrap my head around uh, everything that's been going on, especially the last few months. Bringing you in, Dylan, taking it to the trail world, how do you think about the topic of clean sport and trail? How would you consider the culture? Well, I think, 
first of all, you know, it's an honor to be on this panel. And I think, as I was saying to Rob yesterday, I feel kind of out of place up here because I've maybe been drug tested a total of four or five times in my whole career. Um, and I don't know that much about anti-doping, though I have followed much of what Kara and Steve and the other uh, brave whistleblowers have done recently um, with much admiration, I should say, as Rob said. Um, but, you know, I, I'm very fortunate in that I don't feel as if I've ever been cheated out of anything. Um, I recognize that that is a fragile thing and something not to be taken, taken for granted. Um, and it is good in our sport that there, we do have these discussions. Um, and I think these, these types of discussions are only getting more frequent, more fr frequent and louder. And that is the first step. Though we lack much of what track and field does in terms of the infrastructure to police this stuff. So really it does fall to us as athletes to be honest. And, you know, what you guys started um, where just a bunch of us professionals just pledged, okay, if I ever fail a drug test, I promise I will quit and retire forever. And that's pretty much just the honor system. And that's as good as we can do for now, um, which is not great. But as I said, I'm not also in despair because I really do feel that for the most part our sport is clean at the moment and I don't feel like I've been cheated and I can see how terrible it would be if I, d if I did. Why do you think that is? What do you think it is about trail that's a little bit different? I think it, a lot of it has to do in that it's just a younger sport and um, to be quite honest the economics of it aren't, aren't the same. Um, I, I should say that I'm not so naive to say that it doesn't happen because I'm sure it does to a certain degree. Um, my feeling is that it's not a, a rampant problem as it may have been in track and field and as it certainly was in cycling. Um, and that's just my feeling. But like I can give you an example of what we do basically. Um, for many of the races that I go to, I have to take just a standard CBC blood, blood test, which is theoretically establishing like a biological passport. It's not doping. It's not a targeted test. And anybody who is sophisticated enough to dope is sophisticated enough to pass a targeted in-competition test anyway. So if I do get tested, it's in competition. So. Like, the, I think the reason why it doesn't happen is just because we don't have a governing body. And Rob can talk more about that stuff, the things I don't really understand that these guys have dealt with. But um, we just don't, we don't have the governing body or the infrastructure to, to come to my house at 6 o'clock in the morning and, and force me to take a test. Kara, bringing you in here now to talk about the recently announced Salazar, Alberto Salazar ban, four-year ban, which obviously you were a big part of making that happen. Does that, do you view it as a watershed moment, a shift in track and field that will hopefully help move this in the right direction or not? Yeah, I mean, I'm a hopeful person in general. And so the fact that we 
got to CAS to the Court of Arbitration of Sport to begin with was a victory. But to get a ban, the largest ban you can get for a first time offense, I think it sends a really big message that it doesn't matter how powerful you are, how successful you are, or how much money is backing you, you're going to be held accountable when you cross that line. So for me, I'm pumped about it. I'm not pumped that he's, um, what's the word? He's fighting it and we have to go and do it all over again. But that's the process and we'll go again and I'll testify again. And who knows, maybe he'll, maybe he'll get an eight-year ban at that point. <laughs> but are you hopeful? Are you hopeful for the sport? I am hopeful for the sport. One of the things I've noticed in my very small, limited experience with the trail slash ultra community is that culturally it feels really different. Um, and maybe it's because there isn't these big prize purses and there aren't these massive sponsors and, you know, sponsorship dollars going into it. But the culture seems to be what I what I believed running was when I first started, which was about you against yourself, testing yourself and finding your limits. And, um, you know, I feel like all of the money behind track and field and road racing has really just dismantled that but I my again really really small experience in this community has been that it is sort of what the culture is so different it really is what I first believed running was when I first started Alicia bringing you in Dylan mentioned testing not as president trail very president track and field just talk a little bit about that process how it works for an athlete at your level um well we are we are governed by, or not, was the word governed by USADA in terms of our, our, like our blood testing and getting our, our making sure that we're, we're clean athletes. Um, for U.S. athletes in particular, we are set to a standard where if you're like top 50 in the world, um, you are going to be target tested. So you will, will have to be subject to testing. You have to let people know where you're going to be every hour of the day and you can be dropped in at any point. Um, and there has to be a guaranteed slot, like time slot, where you for sure know where you're going to be. But no matter what, they can still come in and test you. Um, so that's kind of how the process works for us. It's supposed to be one that is is uh, sh should be able to be like random testing and should get rid of some of the dopers. However, that's obviously not happening because uh, globally or internationally, we're finding out that there's many countries that are not under the same protocol that we have with USADA. So um, WADA is supposed to be helping um, with those other countries, but we found out that that wasn't really happening. So there's plenty of countries that aren't under the same standards that we are and is also that are only getting tested when they go in competition. So it's, I don't fully know how doping works, but I do know that people use doping to train. So when they show up to competition, they've already done like the work. So half the time they can get away with it. How often would you be tested in a year? For me, uh, well, they don't care about me anymore. <laughs> They're like, she's pregnant again. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, how often would I be tested in a year? So, I mean, I, di I w fell in the top 50 um, in the world category for s quite some time. So I'd maybe say uh, six times. Maybe if that's like a number, probably under 10 for me. Um, and it would be, you know, if I went to USA Nationals sometime around there and some random time before that and like in between that and outdoor nationals and then some trickles of time between that and a world championship. So our season is, if you do indoor, it's from like February through 
um, September. Well, now they just like race in October, so kudos. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. So in that time frame, there would be like maybe a, two times before uh, indoor nationals, maybe like a few times, like three times before outdoor nationals. At outdoor nationals, I get tested there, and then like maybe a few times before world championships and then at world championships and then maybe like one time in the off season for me um i know there's several athletes that get tested way more more than that and um and they keep your biological passport is what they were supposed to be doing from 2011 to now but i'm not really sure how that's helping i hope that it is and, and rob for you i would assume you, you're tested less than that what do you think about testing in trail uh i've never been tested which is should say a lot. Um, it's uh, and there's no clear answer. Uh, you know, there's been smaller efforts. A program called Quartz, based out of of Europe, has invited um, athletes who are ranked in the top 50 in a in a world ranking to be a part of it. Uh, but there's been issues with it already in terms of the testing that they do. You know, it's a simple CBC count, and, uh, you know, I think a good example is uh, they asked me to be tested before a big race, and I went to I went to the uh, lab facilities, and it was a European-based uh, prescription for the labs, and they couldn't do it, and uh, when I told them, they said, that's good enough, you tried. Oh. <laughs> uh, that's... Uh, <laughs> that's an issue. Thanks for trying. Yeah, yeah, thanks for trying. Um, wow. Very frustrating, yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 a younger sport, and we have no governing body, and I think you'll hear that a lot. Um, you know, most uh, large sporting um, uh, organizations have a governing body, and they contract with USADA for the drug testing. And without uh, a governing body, there's little to no money to go into drug testing, and the drug testing that currently exists is normally announced. You know, Western States is one of the few trail races that has testing of top athletes and several random runners, but it's few and far between. And uh, I find it hard to believe that somebody that is doping um, would allow themselves to be caught in an announced test at Western States. Uh, so to be quite honest, I feel pretty hopeless about the situation. <laughs> you know, I'm not quite as uh, optimistic as Dylan. Um, you know, I, I, I've always felt there's been cheaters in every sport at every level for all of time. And uh, I, I don't think there's any reason to uh, truly believe that trail and ultra running is the one exception. Um, and that's, uh, it really hurts deep, deep down when I, when I don't feel like there's a uh, easy or even difficult answer to, uh, to the situation. So what would you want to see? I mean, uh, uh, sadly, <laughs> ideally, the top runners would be part of the um, USADA or WADA blood doping passport system. Um, but that's going to take uh, an incredible amount of work to first uh, find the funds and create a, a governing body. Um, but, you know, deep down, I'm sad that it even comes to that because uh, I'm an honest person and I work hard. And... Uh, Part of me just doesn't want to do it because I know I'm honest and it's other people spoiling the fun. Um, but, you know, I, obviously I would hop on board um, and I would support any efforts to, to head in that direction. Um, you know, it's a big it's a big chore and uh, it it's not that I don't want to be part of it. I, w I would want to be part of it, but I feel like I have larger battles to fight in my own life. And I feel at this point my energy is best focused on setting a good example, um, sharing with others, hosting camps, coaching, creating a positive, welcoming atmosphere 
to get more people outside, to get more people making positive change in the world. Um, it's a real uphill battle, and uh, it's, it's difficult to see a bright future in ultra running in the short term. Well, all of that's important. The culture is so important. I mean, the famous doper line is, I've never tested positive. So testing isn't the only answer. Dylan, bring you in. You talked about pledges earlier, and that's one way to set the tone. What are other ways to promote that culture, you think? Well, I think Kara has noticed and recognized, and I think rightly, that the culture is, I think, a lot different in trail running than it is in road and track. And I don't know why that is necessarily, but I think part of it has to do with the fact that it's not country driven a lot of the time, because as we've seen, like with some of these Olympic teams, um, you know, some of that stuff is kind of pushed from the top level, you know, from you know, kind of like the Russian doping scandal and who knows what else is happening. And, and for us in our sport, we don't really have that. And the community of people who seem to find the sport don't usually come from, you know, sort of like cutthroat um, athletic backgrounds or, you know, serious um, it, you know, it's usually just people who like to enjoy time out in the mountains. And I don't know if it attracts a, di a different person. Um, but, you know, like, I guess, as Rob said, you know, I do feel kind of optimistic about the state of our sport. But um, I guess to give you an anecdote, like, I do recognize that we are setting ourselves up for serious problems because the last time I was tested in competition, they had me pee into a cup. Well, first of all, I was in a line with a bunch of other elite athletes at the registration, and they were all getting their finger pricked, I, so I assume we were just doing the CBC thing. And I came up to get my finger pricked, and they said, oh no, you actually have to go into this room. And so immediately, like, it made me feel as if all the other athletes around me were looking at me suspiciously, which didn't make me feel good. Um, so I then am the only one in the line that has to go into a different room and pee into a cup. And I don't know a lot about anti-doping, but I know enough to know that when you pee into a cup, somebody needs to be there watching you. And there was nobody there watching me. And so I pee into the cup myself, put the lid on myself, don't have a B sample and hand it over to them and just feel like this is my life and my career in your hands. Like this isn't right, you know, like if you're going to test me, please do it the right way. And so that's a problem. That's a problem. So even though I don't feel like I'm necessarily competing against a bunch of dopers and I don't look at the guys that I race against and think like suspiciously about them, I do recognize though that you know, yes, people will cheat. And the way the system is set up now, for those individuals who are willing to do that, it'd be so easy. And that's an awful thing. Um, so the only thing we can rest on is that cultural difference. And just pray that it remains the same, <laughs> I guess. Is that how the urine test works in track and field, Kara? Oh, oh no, no. <laughs> I started getting um, drug tested in college um, at the height of my career, I actually just looked this up because of Christian Coleman's mistest. At the height of my career, I was getting tested 16 to 18 times a year. I never had a mistest. It was never an issue. But no, there is someone watching you <laughs> every step of the way, right, Alicia? Like, 
your pee is in your possession, but they are watching you. I mean, there's always. Oh, yeah, you are in. Yeah, you would never hand it to someone. That is just that makes me cringe. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's a very different process. Yeah. Let's talk about the role of other players besides just the testing bodies and the athletes, sponsors, as well as events. How can those parties set the right tone? Asking you, Kara. I was like, ask Alicia. (laughs) Um, Just, I mean, I believe that people that, obviously, I come from the Clean Sport Collective. That's what we do, right? So you want to go to races and brands that have signed the pledge, that are going to hold people accountable, that aren't going to say, oh, well, they tested positive, but it was eight years ago. What does that have to do with now? It's sort of just like, it's unacceptable. Like, once that line is crossed, sorry, it's... It's not your right to do these races. It's a privilege, as I love to steal that from Frank Shorter, but it is. And there's a set of rules, and I like races and sponsors uh, that choose to uphold that sort of a standard, that sort of an ethical standard that this is where we are going to work with clean athletes only. And if you are not a clean athlete, you're not invited to the party. The the North Face. The North Face being one of those events that has a policy about it. So going to you, Alicia, again, somebody who has six U.S. titles, three, sorry, two bronze medals in the world champs. If you're not cheating, which I know you're not or weren't, how are you? How are you your best? What were your keys to being your best version of Alicia? Thank goodness. Um, There was a lot of those. I think I, I won. I couldn't. To be clear, I didn't walk up to the line and look at every single person. and was like dope or dope or dope or. (laughs) um it's more about you know the trajectory of the sport and there there are just red flags i think i don't know how many people are actual track fans in here hopefully i mean you know we can get more in the future with just a little bit of cleanup and i totally understand not having as much faith in it um but i do still love the sport and i think that it's, it's a great one to support athletes that are really pursuing their dreams and their goals um, clean athletes that are pursuing those, just to be clear. Um, doing it the right, I focused on myself. I knew that I, w- I, couldn't, I couldn't fathom how somebody could win a medal and start crying when they see their flag being ro- like risen. Like I knew that I wanted to, fe- I wanted to be able to sleep at night. Um, and I knew that, I hoped that athletes that were competing against me you know, we're clean athletes, and if I were to beat them, I, I would want them to feel like she deserved that. She just freaking, you know, she just whooped my ass, you know, and <laughs> that's just what it should be, to be completely honest. And um, I I stayed true to my North Star, and I knew that, you know, I do really believe that uh, truth does win, even though it might take a little bit more time. Um, but I knew I could always look myself in the mirror and um, say you did a good job. And so at the end of the day, I'm the one that gets to get the bronze medals and the ones that didn't do or medals and the ones that didn't do it true. I have to give them back. Maybe. <laughs> Rob, you mentioned hard work. What does that look like for you? Yeah, you know, for me, uh, <laughs> I've gone through the, the various different running lives. You know, I was a triathlete and, and runner, cross country and track and field athlete in high school. Uh, four years of competing at the NCAA Division One level. Ran the roads for a while, uh, quit the sports numerous times, 
but it was really when I when I found the world of trail and ultimately ultra running uh, that I really found my, my, my true passion. And for me, working hard means uh, always testing my limits. And uh, running for me is, is something that I do for myself. And it's not for the awards, not for winning races. Winning races is great, but it's more the icing on the cake. Uh, running for me is uh, something, it, it's really the glue that holds me together um, in life, in my struggle with, with mental health, um, being outside in nature, uh, whoever you want to, uh, whatever metaphor you want to use, it's, it's vitally important to who, my, who I am as a person. And uh, again, sharing that passion with others is, you know, probably the most important aspect of who I am as a person and why running plays such an important part of my life. Dylan, I love your optimism. So we're going to play off of that. We've got fans and amateur athletes watching that could at times be jaded or may hear some of these words and think, man, what it, where is the hope? So what would you tell the fans and the an amateur athletes not only about hope but also about what they can do, what their voice can do? Well, I think – Again, uh, what Rob said earlier kind of stuck with me and just like setting a good example. And for fans who are cynical, the only thing you can do is to, you know, practice the right way and not, you know, cut corners yourself. Um, and if and when anything were to become public or, you know, if it the sort of status quo of the sport now, at least as I see it, were to drastically change, then yeah to use your voice and to you know use vote with your dollars too and only support those brands that are supporting athletes and that are supporting uh efforts like this um and you know i know in track and field with all the crazy controversies going on now i think you know there's a lot of people who are doing that who are going to be voting with their dollars when it comes to the brands that they choose um and you know, I would hope that that would be the same, um, you know, in our sport as well. And obviously there's a lot of crossover. But, yeah, for, you know, the fans of the sport, I think there's so many amazing athletes in our sport to cheer for. And there's so few people, at least for me, who, um, you know, are hard to cheer for. So, you know, get behind the people who you believe in and, um yeah, who are setting the right example. People like Rob, you know, he's always been somebody I've looked up to and admired. And um, yeah, I think that's probably the best way to go. And Kara, there is hope because when you catch people, that's a good thing. And I think often as fans, we think that's a bad thing or we, we maybe grasp on the negativity of that, but catching people means the system's working. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, you want it's it's sad but you want big names to be caught because otherwise you don't i mean if it's just always like some random <laughs> right beeline person you're like uh okay you know but when a big name falls when the head of the biggest team in the world falls that's actually it's a good thing it shows that people care that people have invested in the time and the resources to prove this person crossed the line and again it sends a very strong message that it's not to be tolerated so there's, I mean, again, I'm a hopeful person and I've been through like literally hell and back and I'm still here. So <laughs> there's the reason to be hopeful. Yeah. Alicia, and it's, it's about more than just clean sport too, right? There's been several other 
important topics raised. Started this summer with you talking about maternity rights for our women athletes, and obviously this past 10 days or so, it's continued in a discussion on, on, on weight and how that is talked about, especially for women in our sport. So talk about the bigger issues at play. What do you want people to know about that? Um, I, <laughs> the bigger issues at play is there's a huge cultural and systemic issue that we face in sports, um, a win-at-all-cost mentality, which isn't um, the <laughs> it's not the right mentality. Ultimately, it damages people's lives, damages people's health. Um, it takes away from the pureness and the incredible optimism that you should be able to have as you pursue goals, dreams, and, and just enjoy your community and the company of the pursuit of a better version of yourself. Um, you know, I think Clean Sport Collective is doing just a gr such a great job in allowing for consumers and fans to recognize who um, has great ethics and moral values. And I do think it brings us back to like, you know, yeah, what are your values? Like, what do you, what, what is your, how do you think about ethics? Do you have ethics? Do you have integrity? I think it's about all of that. And, um, you know, when we just talk about what we face in sport and it isn't just women in sport, but in large, I think women are, um, a huge target for things like weight, uh, emotional abuse. I think men also face those sort of things too, but, um, we've not only faced that in sport, we've been facing that across the globe in all industries. And it just also carries over, um, into sport and so I think that this is the time where you know at least for me I've we've said enough you know we're we're tired of not being able to pursue happiness in the way that we deserve to we have one life to live and for some of us uh, it's shorter than others you know and regardless you know it still is a blip of time in which we deserve to have an opportunity at ultimate and whole happiness what does it look like to be an ally in that conversation? Oh my gosh. Um, an ally in the conversation of, of fighting for, yeah. Well, I mean, I am, I am the, the person to be supported. Um, it's, to be honest, it can be exhausting. Um, I'm a human with uh, emotions, and I need to also protect my mental space. However, I feel like if I do not speak out on these topics that we end up having a bunch of whispers about and behind the scenes conversations, then nobody in here would know that these are topics that we face that are not allowing for us to, to progress and they're not allowing us um, to reach the heights of uh, careers and like I said, our lifetime happiness. You know, I, I think everybody, every single person in here deserves um, to be whole. And whole can come with family and however you see that. And for me, it includes children. And whole can mean I have the fairest opportunity to pursue a dream and a goal, even if it means I want a medal and I end up fourth, but against everybody else who wanted to do it true and fair. Um, and for an somebody who's, to answer your question, um, what it looks like for me is, I mean, I'm, I have to put the pedal to the metal. Is it the pedal to the metal? the metal to the pedal, which I have it. <laughs> Go away. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to be the person who is um, trying to pursue your own, like you said, like Rob said, you know, protecting, fighting your own battles, but also knowing that there are really big battles to face that also are a part of your smaller battles or even your own bigger battles. Um, 
And um, I think just the collective voices and I need people behind me and I need people to um, as well as like everybody else. We, I, we need for you guys to believe in us and we need for you to also um, jump on board with the initiatives and the things that we're fighting for. And we need you to do things like fuck Nike and um, just like truth be told, because they you know, what ends up happening is we have these really, really big corporations and they continue to be the ones that get to hide behind the people that are doing the things you know, and, but they continue to support them. For instance, in track and field, um, and I'm fine, I'll just name names. Uh, we've got Justin Gatlin, who's been like the face of USA track and field, which is supposed to be our federation that's letting track and field athletes pursue their goals and, you know, giving them money, but they're, they are in large supporting dopers across the board. Nike sponsors the most dopers and brings them back into house after they've finished their ban. And who knows, maybe they're still giving them money to come back after that. Now we also know that Nike is also paying coaches to run these ridiculous lab tests that are also pushing boundaries and crossing the line, not just pushing boundaries. We're also talking crossing the line. So um, when there's companies like that, I don't feel ashamed to say, you know, yeah, screw that entire company. If they can't figure out how to clean house and just hide people from it, then it's time for us to say, no, I'm not going to give you your dollars, because uh, my dollars, because um, you're ultimately continuing to support that and perpetuate that system. And you are a part of the problem. Preach. <laughs> I, b I believe you and I, I support you. All right, let's switch to a little lighter note, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna open it up for questions in just a second. So if you have those, I'm gonna be passing around the wireless mic. Kara, tomorrow, I think there's a little race that you're doing. Maybe your first ultra. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I'm terrified. <laughs> I feel I really have wanted to do this for a very long time. Basically, since I watched a race about Western states back in 2013 when I was injured on my stationary bike. So. Again, I realize it's not a 100-mile race. I'm doing the 50K. Uh, but I've wanted to do this for a really long time, become an ultra runner. Um, but full disclosure, it's been an exhausting couple of weeks. And, um, you know, just I've really shared myself with the public, and it's it's tiring. And so I'm coming in here a little a little beat up emotionally, but I'm really excited to just be out there with a bunch of positive people and hopefully finish and officially be an ultra marathoner. Dylan, as somebody who did pretty well in your first ultras, what advice would you have for Kara? Kara, welcome to the sport. It's it's great to have you. It's really good. I think uh, the attitude is is the right one. You know, come into it very just excited. And you know, I remember my first uh, Leadville 100 when I was like 23 years old. I remember like I just knew like there was nothing that was going to stop me you know I was just so excited to get get through it and I was going to do it no matter what you know barring catastrophe um, and I think that like carried me to a really good debut and is just kind of the attitude that I'm going to try and carry tomorrow as well so welcome to the game I hope next year you'll be in the 50 mile race that is my ultimate goal yeah. is a 50 miler maybe western states no, no, 2021 no, 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 no. No, no. no thank you I'll cheer I'll crew for someone Rob same question for you and what tips would you have for Kara what tips would you have for anybody who might be doing their first ultra this yeah. weekend 
you know, there's there's never been an ultra I've run where I haven't gone to what I call the dark place. Um, and I always remind myself that, that I, I choose to be there. And it's one of the reasons why I, I do an ultra is to go into those dark places and explore facets of my, my body and my, and, my, and my mind that I, that I wasn't aware of before. Um, so I embrace that. And, uh, you know, one thing I want to say is, uh, you know, I feel very proud of the trail and ultra running community. Um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I think uh, one of the things you might have said post Leadville is that uh, you might have been felt uh, embarrassed or didn't want to go to the awards ceremony because you thought you might um, feel shamed or, or not feel comfortable and you got there and, and you were embraced by the community and you know that's what trail and ultra running is, it's why I'm drawn to it. It doesn't matter if you're standing on the top of the podium or just get to the finish line, it's an incredible thing. You're about to do something you've never done in your entire life, how cool is that? Yeah. Now I'm pumped. Now I'm pumped. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got we got you fired up, Kara. Now we're ready. All right, so let's open it up. Anybody have questions for the panel? Come on, don't be shy. Alicia. Are there shorter distances in which I might be able to partake? <laughs> 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon. Anything you like. The man to get get you entered is in here somewhere, so we'll might work that out. All right, questions. Other questions. Julia is asking, what tips that Kara and Alicia have for the trail community to face this challenge with clean sport? I do think that Want some maybe one of you two, no pressure, but a little bit, um, <laughs> sh should come up with a system that you think would be fair and, and uh, propose it, because I mean I do I do think it is only only a matter of time before people start figuring out ways to infiltrate the amazing positivity that you do have, and um, I don't I I don't think it's I don't think you should wait until that starts to happen, and maybe it's you know, you guys could maybe come up with a proposal that would help keep the sport pure. And like things like just leaving the sport forever is one thing, but also like a pledge that's like you promise to give back every single dime that you took from like your entire career, even if it's like, I didn't cheat her that time. I think things that are like that severe keep people away from doing things like that. Just to give everybody context, there there have been things that we have done similar to that, and just and it sounds so innocent, as you said, of just like saying, "I promise that if I test positive, I will retire." And it sounds so silly, but that's Payback one thing that we money. have done. And Rob and I have been involved in conversations too with groups of athletes who we've proposed, you know, ways in which we can crowdfund it ourselves, pay into a water USADA protocol ourselves. Um, it ha we haven't been able to get anything off off the ground yet, but um, I do recognize it, and I I don't want everybody here to think I'm you know sweeping it under the rug. So yeah. yeah, I think importantly, earlier this year was probably the strongest push thus far, at least in my ultra running career, to establish some type of self-supported testing process. The idea was to work with USADA on um, a program where we wouldn't be in the whereabouts program, but it's the second tier. Uh, I'm not sure the name of it. And it, all, it, it started out great. There was a great enthusiasm, but as, as the email chain grew longer and longer, then you throw in the legalese and the require, requirement for lawyers and possibly a 401c, uh, and it got bogged down, and uh, the leaders of this effort, it, it became too much. 
Um, so I, I, I would certainly think we're always open to somebody with the time, energy, and, and, and finances to help us. Um, but I, I, you know, to reiterate, uh, Dylan, I don't want people to think that we're not trying. We are, but it's a very uphill battle. Uh, my question is more about just, um, you know, some of us are going to be on the starting line. We're not in 100% uh, as far as like our fitness or uh, maybe there's a little injury that's like on our mind right now. Um, what are some, it's a, it's a bit of a tactical question, but um, what are some of the things that you guys have done to prepare for that going into the start line so that you can still have a good experience out there? Sure, simple tips are to, to not go out too fast. It's very easy to do early in a race. Uh, going out too fast and fueling are the two biggest mistakes that I think uh, anybody can make in, a, in an ultra distance race, especially newer folks to the, to the sport. Uh, so fuel early and fuel often. If you get behind, you're never gonna catch up and have your best race. So uh, you know, if you're doing the 50 miler and it's uh, 5.30 in the morning, pitch dark, and the last thing you wanna do is, is shove a gel down your mouth, you gotta sho shove that gel down your mouth or you'll fall behind. So um, be smart early on and uh, fuel, fuel well. Other questions? Um, first, thank you all for being here. You guys are inspiring for all of us amateurs. Um, I have a question. So where does your mind go when you're running? That's A. B is when you're in that dark place, Rob, you described, and all of you I know have faced it, where do you bring your mind to? Do you have mantras? Do you think about different things? So A, where's your mind usually when you're running? B, where do you go in that dark place? Sure. Uh, one of the beautiful things about running long distances, especially a hundred mile race, is I get lost in the moment. And I feel like I have a very uh, active and wandering mind in everyday life. And to me, that's a special opportunity to stay so present and in the moment. And there's never a single thing I think about in those dark places, but I always uh, remind myself of the sacrifices I made in training and not just the sacrifices that I made, but others as well, especially my wife, Christina. Um, not that they would ever be disappointed, but I don't want to disappoint them. So I think about getting to the finish line no matter what, n uh, no matter what. And sure, there's sometimes mantras. Um, I'm not sure if there's any kids in the room, but one of my favorites was Western States in uh, 2014, uh, moments before the, the start of the race. Uh, Christina grabbed me by the shoulders and looked at me in the eye and she said, this is your fucking race. Don't let anybody take it away from you. It's really out of character for her, but that stuck in my mind. That was my mantra. I repeated over and over and over until uh, running around uh, the track and, and uh, at Placer High. Dylan. It's similar to Rob, you know, it's um, very helpful for me to think about my wife who's here tonight and, and uh, all the, my, I have a big family and lots of friends and they've all sort of like fell in, f fallen in love with the sport as well. And so no matter where I am, I know that like I have family watching on the internet. Oftentimes my wife's there with me, nervous as hell and uh, f babysitting me through, you know, 20 hour races. And uh, yeah, it really does help to know that like you have the team behind you, your sponsors at home, just the people who you know are watching on Twitter and live on the live stream. Um, it goes a long way to, to keep you moving. Kara, what about you from the marathon days? 
Um, in the marathon, honestly, a perfect race was like, remember in the old days, I don't know if you're young enough, but like the TV would go off at midnight and it would just be like fuzz. That would be like my dream scenario that for 20 miles, it was just fuzz. Yeah. <laughs> and then I would come to attention and I'd have like a mantra and then I would like focus in. But, um, that would be back then like the dream scenario, but the one trail race that I had that went so, so poorly and I was in such a dark place. Like, I mean, I had these horrific thoughts about like literally just dying I relied on other people and they I mean I didn't ask them for their help they just people were just helping me so that would be my advice tomorrow if you have a bad patch is just say I'm having a really really bad patch because there's the people in my experience were so amazing they're the ones that got me through that Um, the longest competitive race I've been (laughs) 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 I don't have that much time to think about much to be completely (laughs) honest Oh, the line's here. Great. Push. Um, So I apologize for that. (laughs) (laughs) An 800 is a horrific race, Alicia. So one last question. Anybody with a final question? So first, I just want to say thank you to both Alicia and Kara for your courage. Um, Just as as a recreational runner, I I can only imagine how challenging it's been. So I just want to say thank you first. Um, there's something else I wanted to just uh, m- mention that I think are other benefits for what you're doing again at the more recreational level, um, and that's about modeling. Because um, when it comes to recreational running or trying to get into Boston, the same issues of integrity and character play out there too, and it's, and it's definitely way less regulated, for example. So by setting those models at the top, at least I think it's going to continue to have really positive trickle-down effects just for uh, us at the everyday level. So just thank you. There's less of a question about that. but mm. Thank you for that. And that that's actually a really great, important point. I think sometimes as like elite athletes, we get put on this pedestal of, you know, wh- what matters more. And I think that w- the point that you brought is just about integrity. And it is a, a trickle effect of just recognizing everything that you everybody is pursuing does matter and everybody deserves the right to pursue it in its truest form and its truest fashion so I do hope that you guys keep fighting about you know banditing and things that don't belong in the sport and that take away from your right to to do it true and fair we'll make that the last word Alicia thank you thanks to all of our athletes I want to thank the Sports Basement for hosting. I want to thank North Face for allowing us to have this platform and thank all of you for coming. We really appreciate the support. So there you go. Our clean sport panel at the North Face Endurance Challenge. As a bit of a postscript, Kara did go and run the 50K the next day and successfully completed her first ultra as well as finished on the podium along the way, finishing third female in the 50K that next day on Saturday. So, again, thanks to those panelists who joined us, Rob Carr, Dylan Bowman, Kara Goucher, and Alicia Montano, and thanks to them for all they're doing for our sport. Thanks to you, the listeners, for always listening. As always, you can join in by going to the website cleansport.org, signing the pledge, sharing that with brands that you would like to support and purchase from, and then, of course, following us on social media at cleansportco. That's at cleansportco on Twitter and Instagram. And with that, we'll wrap it today and talk to you guys next week.